Hello, and welcome to Fan Slash Fiction with Andrew Slash Zach. I'm Zach Dunsing. And I'm Andrew Gum. Today, we talked to our friend Veronica about the struggles of teaching creative writing to a generation weaned on fan fiction. Also, we discussed some deep-cut Cervantes fanfic. And Andrew owns up to something that I definitely would not have owned up to. Yeah, I regretted it right away. Still do. So, Andrew, I thought you and I would just jump into a little chitter-chatter, catch-up-ness stuff, and then um, we'll, I'll, we'll introduce Veronica and go from there. How does that sound? That sounds great. We literally haven't spoken for almost a month now, and it's been a crazy month, so yeah. We hey, can... Andrew, save it for the podcast. It is the podcast now. So, it's work. been a crazy month, and we haven't <laughs> spoken in that same amount of time. Yeah. Uh, and we should we should catch up on that. How was how was your month? Uh, so I don't think I'm sorry. I don't think I've spoke. Well, we maybe have text or whatever. We haven't really spoken since I was in San Diego, and then you were in Japan. I know it's crazy. Like so so much has happened. I've been back at work for a month. You did like a whole big long vacation. Yeah. So in podcast time, they just go from one episode to the next, but we're yeah. like fully different people. I had a beard and now no longer have a beard. You don't have it's a been beard? That, that's... It's been that amount of time since uh, since we've spoken. That's great because I hated that beard. Thanks. That's But also speaking of Japan, we're big over there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was Huge. really pushing the podcast, yeah. um, and people very politely declined to uh, listen to me. So, yeah, which I think is like a Japanese celebration. So, yeah, they're probably very into it. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you have anything to say before we introduce our guest? This will be guest number three at this point. Yeah, so literally way too much to say. So sure. I feel like we should just save it. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, with schools back in session, the kids are nuts. It's been, yeah, no, I get it. It's been, uh, it's been a lot. I will say this much, a brief shout out to the um, girl who cuts my hair, Haley, because we had like a 30 minute conversation while she was cutting my hair the other day. She started listening to the podcast. Ah, not a huge fan. What? I get it. <laughs> I get it. It's kind of niche, but it's thank you. It's kind of niche. Well, uh, we spilled the beans there with a exclamation so now i think that's finally time to introduce our guests this is like i said guest number three veronica kavas welcome to the show thank you would you like to um explain how you know andrew and i yes okay first of all i played trivia with the two of you about four years ago that's true and we won first place that is also very true. It was also the only time we all played trivia together. That's true. And because of that bizarre confidence that that gave me, I joined a trivia team that went all the way to the semifinals in San Diego. So I literally was on a trivia team for six full months every single week because of that night. Oh, so, my God. What? Yeah. What was the you said you went to the semifinals. What was the question that you lost on? Dude, the semifinal round was such malarkey there were like questions like what is the density of a cloud and you know like by wait sorry by malarkey do you mean science facts 
No, I mean like impossible questions. Oh, like they would do like, science like we had a great crew of people that sure. had like we had real nerds on our team sure. who know deep knowledge about all kinds of areas and they were just they were just unanswerable questions. I wish I had we we talked about them for months afterwards, but I don't have any just off the top of my head. But uh Yeah, I would hope not. That was months ago. Yeah. Consider it a good thing maybe that you didn't win. Because oh, if I know. you it did, been doesn't that say something about you and yeah. all of you? Like that you have no lives, maybe? Yeah, yeah I think that's specifically <laughs> the thing it says about it. Certainly not the fact that you do, in your spare time, a podcast dedicated to fan fiction. <laughs> Certainly yeah, it would have been that the, would really trivia, be the, last the, the trivial pursuit, the if coffin. you will, <laughs> that, that broke yeah. your spirit. Also, I mean, just yeah. to go back to like how, how we all know each other, um, you guys, uh, the two of you hung out quite a bit at our wedding, right? Uh, you just you wait. God, <laughs> I was, like, was I so drunk? I don't remember. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, it's just was this uh, Zach's way of getting a jab hey, at you for not being at just, his wedding? Or? I tried to so bring any, it up as often as I can. Anybody listening, just go to Zach's wedding. It's not worth it not to go. So if you don't, you will regret it. That I Zach will, is having. I will make you regret it for the rest of your life. It was a great yeah. wedding. Uh, agreed, yeah. right? A great Amongst my favorites. Wedding. Yeah. It's what a great first wedding, Zach. I'll be at the next one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't you hate people who introduce like, oh, this is, you know, this is my second wife instead of like I know. Or, or, no, Have no, someone or, ever no, 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 no. said that? Sorry, no, no. <laughs> they never said that. But people would say like, oh, that person was my first wife instead of that person oh. was my ex-wife. Right. Yeah, first wife makes yeah. it sound like an accomplishment that there's kind of or, or there's gonna yeah. be a third now. Yeah. Like if because you're you're counting. Yeah, that's, that's dubious. Mm-hmm. I don't get first wife, but I do get she was my fourth wife. Like if you get deep oh, into well, the numbers, nobody cares by the time you get to the fourth. No one's even coming to that wedding. Although, yeah, yeah it's you so better true. come to you, you better come to two and three, but you can skip four, Andrew. Thanks, I will, and you'll never let me live it down. <laughs> uh, what were you saying, Veronica? I went to a wedding in California where it was the man's third wife and the woman's first husband. And mm. his the man's sister got up to give the first speech and she said, this is the last wedding of yours that I'm going to go to. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how she started the like, speech. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I guess we should start the episode now. I can mention a couple other things as to how we know each other. Please. Yeah. One is, just in case it's relevant, Zach and I play racquetball together. That's true. Although we haven't in five weeks. Five weeks. We have not played in five weeks, but we have played (laughs) four times. Yes. (laughs) I love racquetball. I also love badminton. If you guys come to San Diego, we could do either one of those two things. Andrew, Veronica has the floor, I believe. Sorry. <laughs> Wait, the racquetball floor? Yes. Is that what we're doing? Yeah. Um, that sounds great. One thing I'll mention about playing racquetball with Zach, besides the fact that it's competitive, it's a good workout. Highly competitive. Uh, during our water breaks, we talk about science fiction. I would say exclusively at the time. Primarily we were, Westworld. We were talking about Westworld, yeah. Which mm. uh, we both are on the fence about, I would say. I would say not, not even, even on, on the, the fence. fence. Yeah. Neither of us were into it, but it it highly it, critical. Yeah, both head. highly critical. Yeah, but it, it wasn't it not so much so that it's like uh, a deal breaker yet. 
I, Not, I would say. Yeah. I think they could still... It, it, I don't think they will do this, but if they stick the landing with a third season, it would it would not all be for naught. You know, like I think it would it could be okay. I'll say this: I've never wanted to write fan fiction before, but if I did, wait, I'm sorry, why are you on the show? Um, it would be <laughs> to rewrite the entire second season of Westworld. That, yeah, I'm on board with that. So you play racquetball, you talk science fiction, you're critical of Westworld. I like you already. She's my um, wife's best friend. Yeah. Wow. This is fun. Veronica, I think it's time that we talk about why why you're here here yeah. tonight. And why don't you just tell us like what your sort of introduction-based relationship with fan fiction is? Okay. So I knew what fan fiction was. Sort of, in this vague way where it existed in the periphery of my life and I never engaged with it until I'm teaching creative writing at University of Minnesota and I'm teaching an intro to creative writing class. And for their fiction submissions, I get I get all these short stories. Um, and some of them were obviously not short stories they were just fan fiction bits and hmm. what's the what's the difference a short story is just something that comes out of your brain it can be taken from life experience but you are not playing on a pre-existing story mm-hmm. with pre-existing characters but I, gotcha. I I found one short story, for example, that had obvious I don't even I've never even read Harry Potter, but it had Harry Potter characters and I, I thought, okay. Oh, Harry Potter fan fiction you say. Go on. Yes. Also, we're just gonna gloss over the fact that you said you've never read Harry Potter. Okay. Yeah. Actually you that shouldn't seems we- that seems weird to me, but I'm I'm into it. Continue. You guys I, I should be known for what I am. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Not for what you're not. That's true. Because yes. if you just because you haven't read Harry Potter, which makes you a unicorn. And if we drank your blood, we would live an eternal life. But exactly. it would be a cursed life and a half life. You would get that reference Andrew, if you read Harry Potter. That's the exact sort of reference that's, that doesn't <laughs> land with somebody who hasn't read. Gotcha, Jesus. gotcha, gotcha. Anyways. No, but I now cool, know cool. a lot about Harry Potter from teaching mm-hmm. a bunch of Harry yeah. Potter freaks, you know? So, but yeah. the, the story that really, that really turned me into what I guess became someone who was completely intolerant of fan fiction. You're anti-fanfic. Mm. I'm not anti. I love, this, I love this angle. No, lean into it. I like this. Being okay, anti-fanfiction. I'm going to lean it. That's good. Um, so I get a story where, and everyone who's listening will know what this means, and even if that's just the two of you. Mm-hmm. Okay, but this is my introduction <laughs> to it. Fair. Um, Ouch, but fair. I mean, no, I mean, if this is edited out, that's what I mean to say. So, sure. Gotcha. gotcha, um, gotcha. So I get a story where it's like My Little Pony and Republican values intertwined. And mm-hmm. I thought it was a unique creation. I'm living with another teacher writer who teaches at University of Minnesota. And I tell him whoa, this is the craziest short story I've ever found. Uh, There's like My Little Pony. There's some sort of alt-right thing going on here. And I don't don't understand how this all came together in one thing. Like, how did this person fuse it? You went from, you probably went from like, this is is brilliant and crazy to someone being like, oh, this is like 
a drop, like a drop in the ocean. Like there's a thousand of these. What happened is that my friend said, what you have before you is some brony (laughs) writing. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. This is like everywhere. And I said, how did I not know this existed everywhere? He explained how this all worked. Totally. So then I had to, thank God I had him to explain what this all was because I had no Well, I mean, this was what, two, three years before our podcast even existed. So how could you even navigate? Fairly new. Yeah. Yeah. So I... um, had a like session with the student where I said, listen, I know this is fan fiction <laughs> that you've written and that you're a brony. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. You, you're not, you can't I now like, know a lot about whoa. you. You can't brony shame people in the, in academia. <laughs> yes. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> he said, I am a brony. Okay. He claimed it. Good he for claimed him. It. Good for him. And then I was curious and I said, wait, how does this even really work though? How did he become one? And um, so is this kid, this like 20 year old kid? He's got to be like 19, 20. Got it, got it. it. Yeah. He tells me that it started with having a very Republican view. Sure. And that being on campus, he met other people who had that view and really got along with people who had that view and also were a part of this whole My Little Pony fiction fan fiction specifically world. the republican thing as well so he was a part of like a crew on a campus interesting wow so then i told him to write an essay about it and did he he did how was that good for him it was it could have used some work but it was very <laughs> revealing uh-huh. sure very revealing it was very uh it was actually really fiery yeah a fiery essay about brony like what it means world. to be like young and a man and, and promising white and Republican yeah. and a brony and as well. Yes. Maybe just a tiny bit sexually attracted to small horses. Just like a little bit. I I think that's a given. Okay. Because yeah. I was going to say, is there any indication to you that there was a sexual component to it? Because this is a question that we've posed in the past. This is a question that's been posed we since the get dawn the of, of time. Yeah. Okay, so I I don't feel like the erotic quality is that strong in Brony mm-hmm. world. Well, yeah. it kind of so, disrupts their agenda. I think. I agree. I th- or at least I. I agree, or at least I think that that is how most. I think most Bronies would agree with you. But I don't know if that's because they present that way, or if be- like they. I don't know if that's because they present. This is a non-sexual thing, but it's secretly a sexual thing for some of us, which it definitely is for some of them. Uh, what we are trying to figure out is like how much of that. Where's the over? Like, where's the Venn diagram there of like all the people who involve in involved in in brony culture? It definitely is a sex thing for some of them. Mm-hmm. I think the majority it is not a sex thing for. But is that just because it actually isn't, or is that just because like they aren't? admitting to the world that it is Mm. this is a great question the the kid that wrote this essay the student Uh of mine he was all about the politics about Mm. this Mm. being a political agenda and i think he thought that bringing sex into it made it problematic so i wrote on his Mm. on the feedback to his essay i said what about 
the sexual aspect, but I wrote it in a professor way. Professorial you know, way. Uh, <laughs> where's the He's sex? Like, uh, what about the <laughs> yeah. stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah. So where does your dick play into this horse? <laughs> right. Like, is that how you say it as a professor? Yeah, that's how they roll at the University of Minnesota. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Is that it? That's, that's okay. what they're called, yeah. Um, Twin yeah. Cities campus, just to make sure, because there's yeah. several of them. Um, cool. He seemed to want to not talk. He didn't want to talk about the sex aspect of it. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. but that not wanting to talk about the sex aspect of it is not the same thing as there being no sex aspect. Exactly. Of it. That's that. Gotcha. I'm just saying that. Yeah, that that opens more doors than it does close them for me. I agree. I would okay. love for someone who is fully aware of this whole culture and and mm-hmm. how it works to write about all aspects of it. But this kid was a sophomore. Sure. Whatever, He's got know. the next decade to figure that stuff yeah. out. In yeah. In 10 years, he'll be able to write a full essay on yeah. bronyism. Because you helped him. Because you helped shape his writing style. So, um, But, how, okay. But I still feel like... There's more. Well, there's obviously more, but there's, I mean, there's a big question that I don't even think, and you, I don't, you may not be able to answer, but like the sex thing, yes, that's, I think will forever or not forever be a mystery, but it it will be a, it, it's intentionally an ambiguous gray area of that Mm -hmm. whole culture. Where the does being a Republican come into this? How do those things connect? Yeah, that's a good question. This is a question I cannot yet quite answer. I don't understand. He tried to write about it. He wrote about it poorly. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, it seemed like there was a sudden avenue of... Is it because of their hard line on friendship being magic? It yeah, might be that. I've noticed that. <laughs> it might be that. It's like they believe in American values and that friendship is literally magic. So, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. I find it compelling. There is you know? sort of a rigid, um, there's like a, as, as we talked about before, much like Game of Thrones, like there's a rigid sort of family hierarchy and, and like, uh, oligarchy to the, the, to the My Little Pony universe. Yeah. yeah the Ponyverse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It definitely is a well structured, complex system and hierarchy. Well, uh, no, actually, it's the writings on the wall GOP, Grand Old Ponies. There we go. <laughs> God, I, I don't know why we hadn't put that together oh. before. Oh, my. We have figured it all out. Sourced yep. it. That's great. Uh. <laughs> so that all to say sometimes fan fiction reveals uh, deep truth. I would say that, so, it, I would say that it, that's basically the – it's either doing nothing or that. Sorry, no. It's yeah. either doing nothing, providing something for someone to masturbate to, to or – Revealing a deep truth. Right. Yeah. And they're it's all kind of, of the same things. thing in a way. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, so you said you were not anti-fan fiction in, on principle, I'm assuming. Right. You've never written any of it. Nope. In lieu of some pending um, Westworld rewrites for season two. Not yet. Uh, we will read ha- them if you write them. We, you will have an audience of two at least. We'll so perform them. that. We will perform them. That would be amazing. <laughs> I call Maeve. Um, uh, you yeah, would. who's going to play Anthony Hopkins? A, oh, I feel uh, I feel like you can do a good Anthony Hopkins, Andrew. I mean, I could try, but I you just have to talk so slowly. You could try, but you are going to right now on air? I thought that's what uh, I heard you say. Yes. So, uh, you see, the 
park itself is humanity. It's ugly. I can't do it. Try, it's try, no, no, I just try, keep on. No, try I Hannibal keep on Lecter. seeing uh, Hannibal. That's try exactly Hannibal Lecter, and you'll get it. You'll get in tune. Do Fava So beans. it'll be uh, okay. Uh, what What's the scene? Where Where are we? Where You're is, explaining how you ate somebody with a side of fava beans and a nice candy in Westworld. No. <laughs> okay, Hannibal Lecter. You know what I see when I look at you with your cheap shoes and your nice bag? You look like a rube. That's the best I can do. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. You also like almost effortlessly slipped into um, Heath Ledger's Joker. <laughs> I think that Heath Ledger drew like a lot a from line. Hannibal Probably. Lecter. Oh, that yeah, intensity. I so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that uh, he gets it because it's that kind of joyful chaos thing. We, uh, mm-hmm. we just watched The Dark Knight with my uh, film students, and I had them write a film essay about The Dark Knight. And that I mean, movie is good. So I you know I actually rewatched it a week ago for the first time it in a long time. totally stands up. The themes are very cool. Only because I needed a breather in between watching Heat and then Heat a like, second time. Yeah. Why? I watched Heat. <laughs> Why not a back-to-back Heat? <laughs> and then I watched The Dark Knight, <laughs> and then I watched Heat again because it's still amazing. Yeah, heat's awesome. A sandwich. I had yeah. a heat sandwich. A heat heath heat, sandwich. Heat, yeah, it's a th- you call it a triple H at the diner. You want, like yeah. I want a triple H. It's a heat heath heat <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> Sounds oh. delicious. <laughs> I'd like some heath on heat bread, please. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, questions. So, are there any other students of note that like? Uh, other than you were just getting too much of it, and it was like obviously a problem, right? It was like I I, could, I started learning how to identify it immediately, mm. um, and basically I, I I then started every semester by writing on the board. You can write anything. You can even write sci-fi, which I'm cool with, but there's a lot of bad obviously. sci-fi. Um, but no fan fiction, and people would drop the class. <laughs> That's they so they cool. got into that class specifically to like give their fan fiction because a voice. fan fiction is serious. It's serious it's and very it's personal. Real. It is, and well, they they had probably spent ten years already writing it on you know writing it online and exercising their voice, and then they walk in your class in day one. You're like, okay, you don't get to yeah, you don't get to write this anymore. And they're like, that's got to be really crushing for some mm-hmm. of them. Oh, I like, think so. Yeah, like they started as freshmen in high school, and they're like. Now in college, and they have this whole back catalog of Naruto fan fiction that they've written, and they are stoked to share it with you, and they do not, you do not want to read their Naruto toe. Well, but that's fiction. also the exact opposite of what it should have done, which is that it should be, okay, maybe you've written a bunch of that before, now it's time for you to exercise your own voice, you know, like, right. now it's time for you to do your own thing. In a collegiate course, get off the goddamn internet, you weirdos. I'm right. not defending Her words, not them. I'm just exactly. sympathizing. Veronica's the one that's <laughs> calling them the weirdos, right? We all agree on that? So, bef- so I mean, okay, so before. <laughs> oh, I love weirdos. <laughs> yeah, me too. Present company included. Um, before we get into maybe some stuff that you've read, was there one last thing about the while you were teaching like was there anything that you was there any fan fiction that you came across while teaching that you learned about that like shocked you not in a traditionally shocking way but just in a like oh I would not have expected that to exist sort of way be, beyond the brony thing honestly no but okay. I will say this 
I did encounter an argument from a student that I thought was interesting mm-hmm. and that shocked mm-hmm. me and left me in a position where I wasn't quite sure what to say for a moment. So, you know, when you're telling people, okay, go write, and some of you will write something that's good and some of you won't, and there's that saying, genius steals and talent borrows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've okay. also heard, I believe, um, good writers plagiarize, great ones steal outright. There we go. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Same, yeah, I've heard it both ways. So um, a student who wanted to stay in my class but really wanted to write fan fiction turned that on me after class. Mm-hmm. She came up and asked me, if genius steals and talent borrows, then what is fan fiction doing wrong? Mm. That is the central crux of this entire podcast, I right. think. Right. And uh, I didn't have an answer in that moment. All Damn I it. said was, um, I, I don't know, except that it's just not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even indulge her a little bit? No, I said I'm going to think about it. Good question. But to be fair, you're still thinking about it, so it's still in my mind. Yeah. That is the ultimate question, which is like why 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 is the mere fact that these are characters that exist somewhere else? Like why is that the defining factor in whether this is like good or bad or even just considered seriously? You know? I think that this could be brought up so I had students who were really into world building. Sure. You know, so maybe they could answer that a bit world building has a certain integrity it does and if you're just stealing outright from a world that's already built there's not you're not adding that much to it and you're not doing and sure i get that but i mean what we're a lot of the stuff or at least some of the stuff that andrew and i reviewed uh is taking parts from these world and then expanding them beyond what was already there in a lot of ways i mean particularly the um we must unite Within, within her, her walls or will crumble from within. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. So that's, you're, you're really touching on a theme that is one of the things we're really interested in that we've talked about a lot in here is just because it's borrowing from this world, is that, does that make it bad or does that give you the opportunity to already have a starting point and then talk more deeply about the themes that people are already familiar with because they're familiar with that world, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a, uh, it's a it's a question, and the answer kind of varies person to person, like and fiction to fiction. From well, it's my also, experience, but I mean, it also always comes in line with like, well, is it good or not? Well, who knows? You know, like what's yeah, what you is know, good? What is good? Know. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, all that. So that yeah, it's a it's a quagmire for sure. I think I I mean, here's what I remember. I did eventually write her an email, and I said. Um, look, part of the purpose of this class okay. is to... I like, sorry, I like to think that you wrote that email like the like a week ago when I asked you to right. do the podcast. You're like, I should... I think I'll really finally... Really turned over some old memories. Like, you're like, I've got baggage like, I need to deal with person? before I do this. That girl dropped out of college. She's been in limbo for the past three years. Yeah. No, but I did say um, what I want to see you do is create a character and a, yeah. and a setting and a situation. I don't want you to piggyback on to one. And yeah, I totally get that. I and get that. So that actually brings up an interesting point that I've been thinking about that I don't think we've necessarily ever talked about, Andrew, which is – so the things that work 
like we must unite within her walls or will crumble from within that works because it's or puffs puffs work because it's not about harry potter and it's not about uh gryffindor it's about the people that aren't written about that so you have you have that room in that space so when you're writing a whole novella about cho chang like that works because there's no other material about her, you know, like there's no other, um, the parameters of her have not been set in stone yet. Right. It's like that you only have a foundation, like a very small Mm. foundation, but you've got all this love for the source material, which gives you that passion to then flesh that character out in a direction that feels authentic to you. Well, and that also is, sorry, that, that also is what Veronica was saying of like, so that, in, in a sense, they did create a character because they took a limited framework for a possibly racist character and then <laughs> <laughs> extrapolated that into into a you know full-bodied, like well-rounded person. Right. Yeah. You couldn't do that with Harry Potter, or at least like this. People have done that with with the character of Harry Potter, or Ron, or even Hermione, and it doesn't seem to be as successful. So I think that is a big. That is a part of this thing that we're trying to figure out, which is like, what is the ultimate difference there? I have Mm -hmm. another thing. Mm -hmm. Um, As someone who I have not really read Harry Potter and I'm not really into some things that other people are into. I do appreciate uh, there being a certain respect towards me as a reader that I don't know those things, but that, I am entering into a story brand new mm-hmm. and these characters are just beginning within my reading experience in that moment. If no prior knowledge oh, required. That's fascinating. Sure, yeah. No, that's no, I I'd never really thought of it that way that you Yeah, we've are only ever talked about it from the inclusive angle end of the right. Yeah. This is a space for people that are looking for a space to talk about this thing that they love. We haven't talked about for the readers stepping in like there is an assumption of prior knowledge that if you don't have it, they're leaving a lot of context out. Yeah. So, well, also to find a person in in you know 2018 that has no prior knowledge of Harry Potter, that's just insane. I don't know where. You although think you're I bet off. a l- young lady, that's insane. <laughs> I bet a large part of the world doesn't know about Harry Potter. I so maybe I doubt it. Uh, we had two um, over the summer. We had two French teenagers who came into my job and, and worked. Like they were traveling because I guess their dad lives here or whatever. French teenagers, 16, 17, something like that. All they did the entire time we were there was design and 3D print Harry Potter. <laughs> like, yeah. It was, it, it's just, it, you're probably right, but it is ubiquitous as well. Right. Harry Potter and les chambres mystérieuses. You know that we've all read it. Sure, we've all read that book. Just so. say, just say Bellatrix Lestrange. <laughs> Bellatrix <laughs> Lestrange. There you go. But uh, but I wanna I wanna go back because I'm I I really I'm really interested in that line of thinking because when you are writing something and with the intent for somebody to read it, you kind of do have a social contract with that person of, I am letting you in to this world. And if you do not provide them the tools to access that world that you, that you wrote, Mm -hmm. you're kind of isolating your reader from yourself. Like you're assuming this backlog of information, but if they don't have it, then they, then they can't, 
than they can enjoy or engage intellectually with this thing that you wrote. So it's like, I know that not all writing is for all people, just like all podcasts are not for all people. We know, mom. We know you don't like it. I get it. But, uh, but yeah. So if you, if you are writing something and your audience cannot engage with it, then yeah, I guess that that would be an objective way to say that your writing is, you know, it can't reach everybody and therefore maybe or at least you well, not yeah, everybody we just, we, sorry we've never thought about it as being exclusionary yes thank you yeah which it is uh it's also <laughs> arguably the most democratic form you know because everyone can chime in and take something apart and piece it back together and make mm-hmm. characters do whatever you mean fan it's fiction? not a profit based fan fiction does that it's not yeah. a profit based endeavor and it is something that everyone can come in on like zombies you know mm-hmm. and just take apart however there are people who have no idea what these worlds are so if they come in blind if they come in brand yeah. new how are they supposed to really get excited about it uh, without having that background and I, i'm i'm opposed to well that. i think that would also I mean, the answer to that would also be, would go back to that, well, whether it's any good or not. You know, like, if it's already, if there's enough there and the, the, it's rich enough, it'll pull people in. If it's not, it won't. You know, like, if it relies right. too much on the source material, then it doesn't work. And if, if, uh, it doesn't, it does. Right. Well, it makes me think, like, these internet factions that develop, like, if you're into it enough, you'll dig in deep enough and into the community and read these other pieces of fan fiction that the community is referencing from within their own fan fictions. Like you're saying, it's a very democratic form. Mm -hmm. And then you are in the in-group. You're in this fan community and you're embedded in it. We We spoke with my sister and she is embedded in a few fan communities whereas if i were to try to casually walk in i would be so lost it would be really hard for me to dig deep enough to even understand Mm -hmm. i will say this Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna quote someone so there's i've when i was teaching fiction writing classes i would teach this book by a guy named james wood called how fiction works Mm -hmm. which i have Mm -hmm. in front of me right now and um i'm not reading from the page Mm-hmm. But uh, the quote is that fiction is uh, half artifice and half verisimilitude, mm-hmm. okay. which I think applies before. to fan fiction as well, right? In a way. That means so you're making up half of it. It's like half invention and half like relatable. relying on it being, yeah, being relatable to life. Right. Okay. Well, and as yeah. we said, I mean, yeah, the stuff the stuff that works that people really respond to mm-hmm. are really taking that just that base part, like just that starting point of the source material, and really running with their their own creative entity. Um, and the stuff that doesn't is the stuff that's either just very hackneyed and not very thought out, or or doesn't really involve doesn't really stay true to the universe or the characters or whatever, or it's just straight up bad erotica. But there's also a reason why <laughs> fan fiction will never win a, you could say, Pulitzer or Pulitzer. Pulitzer. <laughs> you know? 
But didn't um, didn't Neil Gaiman win that like huge short like national short story prize for his Sandman that is just a Midsummer Night's Dream? That's interesting, uh, isn't talk, it? Yeah. Well, There's we a just, whole. We need to have a whole episode about Neil whoa. Gaiman and Alan Moore, but well, we just. I mean, we could talk endlessly about how we borrow from historical stories all the time, and those they're considered works of like modern genius. Yeah, well, I this know. is what this always grinds down to is, yeah, there's seven stories like that, you know, like, okay, yeah. well, then isn't it all fan fiction? Right. Right? Right, I know. And it's so, and this is the this is the end point. Veronica, this is where we need you <laughs> because we keep, and you've, you've already been done to it grad once, school. so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we well, haven't. W- w- yeah, exactly. Who are we? You're great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we keep running, we keep running into that wall of like, well, then isn't, isn't all fiction derivative and aren't we just measuring like varying degrees of derivation at this point but but you pointed out something that i had never even thought about like the fact that if you're assuming that somebody already has buy-in to a, a fan community then you are then you're cutting yourself off from everybody who isn't so mm-hmm. your writing is cut off from everybody who's not like you you know exactly so. i okay so i do have some thoughts on okay. this um, so I find that the realm of fan fiction is almost, so it's kind of crazy because in a way it's one of our only hopes for the continuation of reading to exist. Mm. Oh God, isn't um, that true, man? That's so sad. Mm-hmm. And maybe not. I'm sorry to all the fan fiction people out there who think it's just the best, but I, I'm sad that that's like really where it might just end entirely mm-hmm. um also it exists because there is a fan base it is based on the fact mm-hmm. there's a community surrounding this storyline and there's a lot of conversation happening about it so entering into that conversation involves a knowledge like a, an existence with it you can't just come in from anywhere and and know what's happening um and i have an issue with that. I like sure. I like work that kind of allows anyone to come in um, and then relate to it or not or have opposition to it, but not feel like a dumbass because they were left out of the club that this was brewing in. Um, right. Which is kind of where it exists, which is like what the internet promised to do and what it is doing entirely. Um, however, when I was in my kind of like battle mode with fan fiction with my own students, I wanted to understand sort of how fan fiction worked and historical beginnings. And I, I find that um, it's not a new form. There is pre-internet fan fiction, like deeply pre-internet is it, fan fiction. Is it time? Can we? I'm so excited. Okay, you can cut out any of my excitement, but I read no, the Wikipedia. This is exciting. Okay. Also, okay. before we jump into this, Andrew, Who Are We, You're Great is exactly what we should name our next podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And we should just talk to people that are cooler than us, which is most Most of people. what we do. So that's great. Not true. Um, yeah. <laughs> so is it time? Should we talk about Your Great Uncle? I guess it's time to talk about my great uncle. <laughs> Who right. are we? He's great, uncle. <laughs> Poor guy, he's dead. Um, yeah. yeah, well, 
Well, he's not. Get a long, rich Everyone life. Dies. Especially Andrew. Yeah. All right. So I have a, a family member in my past who I've never met because he died before I was born. Yeah. Um, well, in like what, like 1870? Wait, you might know better than I. I just read it. I think he was, he started in the late 1800s, but lived into the early 1900s. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. He, 1870 right. was kind of like when he was When active. he was like yeah, yeah. happening. So he was a writer. He mostly wrote against Ecuadorian dictators. He lived in Ecuador. That was his thing. He would <laughs> write these revolutionary essays about dictators, and then he would get exiled. And then he would... Wait till that dictator fell, because they always do in Ecuador, mm-hmm. and then he would return to the country, and then he wrote against another dictator. But his real passion was fan fiction, actually. Um, Sorry, his passion bit of above toppling governments yeah. was fan fiction, yeah. just on I know. record. And, his, and also on record, his name was Juan Montalvo, and he is directly credited with the assassination of one of those dictators because of his writings. Yes. And... He's still more into fan fiction than bringing about the death of leaders. That is hardcore. I, I think. Yeah. I think my great uncle would uh, would nod his head from his grave right now and say, "Yes, <laughs> yes, I wanted to topple dictator governments, but more than that, I wanted to rewrite Don Quixote. Like I, I wanted to add to it. So he wrote a book." that I've never read called like the chapter Cervantes forgot. And it's basically such a thing that like a fan fiction person would write (laughs) today. I know. It's like the lost chapters of Harry Potter. Yeah. (laughs) And um, in some research I did about him, because he has a face on an Ecuadorian coin that no longer exists. (laughs) You didn't mention that. Oh, it's... That's dope. Yeah. Their old (sighs) currency before they took on the American dollar, which is what they use now. Less dope. um, Is they have a Wamantalvo face on one of the coins as a revolutionary figure. So he's known... Does your family have any of those coins? I have some. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, continue. So he um, was obsessed with Cervantes, and he was obsessed with Don Quixote, which is this gigantic book with over 120 chapters. He wanted to add his own chapters to it, things that he thought were important. When I talk about it with family members, and uh, I have some that are a little bit nerdier than others, who are like, well, he kind of thought he overlooked this and that with the whole Don Quixote story, so he added. But what he's known for is writing perfectly in his voice. Hmm. He read him so well that he was able to write them seamlessly, like you could think that it was Cervantes. That... Which is, which is awesome. a commonality with any any of the successful fan fiction writers to this day. Right. That's what I was just going to say is like those are the ones that have been impressive to Zach and I mm-hmm. where it's like even if we don't necessarily like love it, I've been very impressed with the ability to capture a voice because you can tell that that's what's probably capturing these people's imaginations mm-hmm. and they they just want to engage with it that same way, including – Dictator topplers. Right. Do you know, um, is there a tradition of other people writing fan fiction of Cervantes or or of Don Don Quixote specifically? Well, yes. So, and 
if you have any weird literary scholars out there listening to this, they might be like... You're the only one. (laughs) They might be like, wait, (laughs) she's got this wrong. But here's what I know about Cervantes. Uh It actually begins during his lifetime. So he comes out with the first volume of Don Quixote, which is, what, 52 chapters, super long. Comes out in 1605. He's writing around the same time Shakespeare is writing. Mm-hmm. What was happening at that time? Why were why do we have Shakespeare and Cervantes at the same time? Anyway, and uh, the guy who wrote like uh, La Vida es Sueño uh, uh, de la Barca, the same Michael, same time. Michael with, Crichton, Michael Crichton, yeah, Michael Crichton, uh, de la Barca. That's oh yeah, correct. Jurassic Park at the same time mm-hmm. was happening. And um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. Um, Apparently, after Don Quixote came out, someone wrote under another name, Continuation of Don Quixote. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was not written by Cervantes. And it was under a pseudonym. It was something that I, what I understand now, this is 400 years ago, insulted him. You know, sure. Bothered mm. him a great deal. So he comes out in 1615, 10 years after, uh-huh. with a more intense, long, crazy Second volume of Don Quixote, kind of reclaiming his to, story to like nullify the other guy's work. Some could say that would be the case. He got mm. he weeded him. Yeah, because he returns to some storylines. Yeah, like almost to like stamp over, gravel over, pave over, whatever. Sure to be like that's no, not what happened. Did. Andrew, he yeah. we he weeded him. Your sister told us about this. I don't know that wait, term, and now I don't I'm... know. Wait, tell me. Uh, yeah, I, I I wanted to connect, but I tell me, explain weeding. <laughs> no, don't Josh you remember? I know. Yeah, no, your sister was telling about this. It's like when people are continuing a story and writing it, and then um, the the canon of it comes out, and it just nullifies their entire fan fiction. That's called getting weeded. Oh, your I don't sister that told line, us this. Awesome. I know she's my blood, so we don't always listen well to each other, <laughs> yeah. like people who are related. <laughs> but yeah, so like, I mean, and it, it comes from so many people writing Buffy fan fiction that that and and Joss Whedon have a, having a propensity for subverting expectations with that show, so that like so many people's fan fiction got written out of canon that they called it Whedoning. That's what Cervantes did. Do you think he called it Whedoning? Um, I think uh, Whedon, Whedon being Cervantes is what it was. Uh, you got. Actually, there should be a new term. Cervantes. Because yeah. <laughs> that one's a Cervantes. You got Cervantes. Yeah. <laughs> You've been Cervantes. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an early form of Whedoning. We can all agree. Then he dies. Your great uncle. Then Cervantes dies. Cervantes, Cervantes dies. <laughs> and um, following. That Don Quixote scene as as crazy and like sort of incoherent as that book is, because I've only read a little bit of it, you know, um, it's seen as like the best novel Mm -hmm. ever. And what happens is that a lot of people try to add on to it. It's long. It has a lot of things going on, a lot of things that mm. people can work off of, spin off of. And, and that happens in Spain. It happens in South America as well. And it happened with my great uncle. So he was like obsessed with the book and he thought, I have some stuff to add to it. I also know Borges, an Argentinian writer mm. who I adore. It's a weird way to put it, but I, I just think his work is so cool. He played around with it too, with a short story called... Um, Pierre Menard, where he 
plays along with the idea of who owns a story and when. If someone mm. writes it and then someone else writes mm. it, I don't know, two weeks, two years, ten years later, who's to say who owns it? Um, in a mm. way, it's it, it, there's this whole kind of debate that's been going on for a long time in literature in some ways where people poke at each other and mess with each other. And in some ways where they play innocent and say, no, it's my story. I don't care Hmm. if you wrote it first. It came from my brain. Maybe we were just grabbing from the collective unconscious or whatever at different times, you know? Right. Hmm. Right. Well, because it's like we we're just communicating. Like that's what it makes me think of. Like you're just communicating what's in your head when you're writing a story. Now, if that is heavily inspired or lightly inspired, like that's kind of up for debate. I mean, if you're stealing, well, if you're using characters that somebody else wrote, but those people were basing those characters on the human condition. (laughs) Ay, 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 I know. And so, but that, that is really (sighs) interesting to me because that shows that this author, what was his name? The one that you really like? Cervantes. Not Cervantes. The uh, no. Oh, Borges. Borges. I love Borges. Bor- Borges. That he was interested in that conversation as well, uh, just post Cervantes. And like even Shakespeare, he basically just stole all the old stories, yeah. like all the old Greek yeah. stories, just like slapped a modern skin on him and didn't call it Tristan and Isolde. He called it Romeo and Juliet. And everybody's like, Shakespeare, you're a genius. You know? It does roll off the tongue more. Romeo and Juliet, I believe. So I, I would, and we, we, you know, we don't have to go too, too far into detail on this. I think we're pretty good on time, but uh, I would feel remiss for us to bring up fan fiction and Don Quixote and not Terry Gilliam. Holy, shit, I'm so glad you're bringing him up. Can can we talk about Terry Gilliam for a second? Yeah, I know what you're gonna bring up. Yeah, so I don't. I'm with you, audience. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm obsessed Andrew, with go sit with go sit with the audience. Um, okay. so this Terry, is where we become like the fan fiction assholes, where we're like, we know this stuff that you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, See, this we get, is a demonstration yeah. of that earlier point where it's like, oh, now I feel left out. Thanks, the internet. <laughs> Shut <again>. up, Andrew. <laughs> Sorry. We're the internet. Uh, <laughs> so Terry Gilliam has been trying to essentially not even remake but make a fan fiction of Don Quixote since 1989 Mm. if you guys don't know Terry Gilliam he's one of the best directors out there not so much anymore but he was in his prime Um, Brazil is one of the best and my favorite movies of all time a best director can just remain a best director even regardless when their time is past he's always going to be one of my favorites and one of the best Uh, it's just unfortunate that Past not really making 15 years. No, he's making stuff. It's just not. Yeah. It is what it is. So he is consistently experimental. We'll say that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1989, he got the idea to make Don Quixote. And it started as a he. It's his version of it. And it's called The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. And it, it's gone through 30 iterations over the years. So much money. So much money, although not as much as you would think. Um, the cast, the people who have been assigned to play, essentially... the Okay, so the loose form of the story is an ad exec or sometimes a movie producer uh, in one version of the story gets sent back in time and meets Don Quixote. In another version, 
it takes place in present times and it's just a movie pretty or a movie director who meets a crazy person who thinks they're Don Quixote. But mm. the first attempt at making this movie or sorry. So the cat, like this has been almost made so many times that the cast of those two characters ranges from Johnny Depp mm-hmm. to uh, John Hurt to uh, who was the original guy? John, John Russia, Russia French, French guy, yeah. French actor. Whoever he is. Um, Adam Driver. Uh, Wait, really? That's who ended up in it. Wait. He's very new. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. We'll get there. Okay. So anyway, so he's, uh, he got the idea to make this movie in 1989. It went through many, many cycles of almost getting funded, not getting funded, almost getting funded, not getting funded. They finally get enough money together in 2000 to to make it with Johnny Depp and Jean Rochefort or whatever. Yeah. Do you want to, uh, I have never seen Lost in La Mancha. Would you like to explain Lost in La Mancha? They were plagued by cursed events. Yes. In, Lost, the, in, in the film. Yeah. What happened? Like a crazy storm. Lost in La Mancha is a documentary that was made about that 2000 yeah. production. Lost in La Mancha came out in 2002. It, uh, it documents everything that happened. So they, they shot on a nature preserve in Spain. Um, a week before they were supposed to start shooting is when everybody, all the actors, was when Johnny Depp basically finally showed up, even though no one could get in touch with him. Uh, they because he's probably trashing a hotel room with Kate Moss or whatever, or whatever he was doing in, in the early aughts. Uh, <laughs> so cool back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Um, the production was hit by a flash flood, which washed away most of their equipment and props. The insurance company would like cover the cost of some of those props, but wouldn't account them for the amount of time that they'd already spent on it. Uh, the, there were like unscheduled jet fighter, um, flyovers, like, uh, what's it called when they do maneuvers Mm -hmm. that was so loud that like they couldn't capture audio. This is all in the first week, the production of this, of like he had already at the Terry Gilliam had already at this point been trying to make this movie for a decade, the production to this first attempt at it lasts less than two weeks. Yeah. Mm. Because that happens. The French actor, Jean Rochefort, or whatever, I cannot pronounce his name. Yeah. Um, he ha- gets, he is diagnosed with, with two herniated discs. He can't ride a horse. He was playing Don right. Quixote. He can't ride a horse. That's like the only thing you need to be able to do, really. <laughs> yeah, you don't even need to act. <laughs> he also, ride a he horse. learned English for this role. Yeah. He spent seven months learning English for this role. Uh, so basically, when they just when they finally and this is a whole process when they finally discover that that actor is not coming back, that's when they pull the plug on it. And basically, by that point, the insurance company owns the rights to this movie, <laughs> right? Oh, Disaster. Disaster. So it goes through another decade of almost got funded, didn't get funded, almost got funded, didn't get funded. Terry Gilliam holds on to this thing until 2015. Where, so the original budget for that first production was like thirty-eight million, which Terry Gilliam com- Terry Gilliam complained about being about half as much money as they needed. The final production budget for the movie that they made last year or two years ago was eighteen million. <laughs> Whoa! Um, so it's a it, and it, it's Wait, also, they made it. They made it. So this movie came out last year, right? Wait, how did I not know this? You're finding out right now on live podcast television. Uh, so the man who killed, or the man who killed Don Quixote, they made a starring um, 
Adam Driver and Jonathan Price from Brazil. Jonathan Price plays Don Quixote. Adam Driver plays the director slash ad executive because that rolls. Oh, okay. Switch up. It no longer takes place in the past. It takes place in present day, presumably to save money. And it's just about a person. What, in L.A.? No, in Spain still. Okay, good. Um, but it it uh, it it's about a delusional man who thinks that he's Don Quixote instead of just like it. So the whole thing Which is Don that, Quixote is delusional. Exactly right. So it, it's fine. It overlaps and it seemingly has a lot to do with this intentionally using this word quixotic journey to make yes. the to make the um, movie. It doesn't end there though. So he after. 17 years, basically 30 since the inception of the idea, but 17 years since that first production went into play, he finally makes this movie. They get it uh, set to show at con, and one of the produ- the original producers who dropped out of it in this round of production claims that he actually owns the rights to the movie, sues Terry Gilliam... Terry Gilliam has a stroke, goes into the hospital to recover. He comes out okay. Uh, The court rules in favor of that producer. Amazon, who was set to distribute it overseas, like in the U.S. and all over, pulls out. This movie basically gets a showing at Cannes, and that's it. It's in limited run in Europe currently, I believe. Let's get it. Let's what? get it. Let's get, get it. it. So it got cursed again? It it's, got double cursed? No, it was never not cursed. It's the, it's the, or the, the it's like, it's like original a, curse intact. It's yeah. like how they say never do a production of Macbeth. Sure. Right. Don't do a film yeah. or anything with Don Quixote. Leave it alone. You're going to die or whatever. Yeah. Do you know the worst, 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 worst part of that story? There's more? Yeah. Just a slight little bit more. Every review that I've said or that I've read of the man who kills Don Quixote says it's mediocre. Aww. After all that, well, at least make it bad. Well, no, know? but here's, but I mean, that's so even like, what you do know, they have it at 65% at Rotten Tomatoes or <laughs> something? Fair, yeah, maybe. Ugh, well, no, but even, even Terry Gilliam, get. like in his, his autobiography from a few years ago was like, at this point. And this is probably why he settled to just make it with less than $20 million, which yeah. is much less than what he wanted. It's like, he was like, at this point, I don't care if the movie's good. It's a tumor in my creative like conscious. I just need to get, I need to cut it out. And then he had a Aww. stroke. And then he had a fucking stroke because he's still dealing yeah. with this. Oh, if you're listening, awful. Terry, I know you are. Get well soon. Yeah, it's a bad Terry, rap. I really, Terry, I I'm love so your work. Sorry, man. We I love, love all it. your work. It's even amazing. the stuff that is Even if this was a hard thing, and if I, I don't know what it'll be like, but I think you're amazing. If your work has declined, it's probably because you're cursed, buddy. I'm so sorry about the curse. Yeah. We are sorry, yeah. all of us, on behalf We're of We're collectively everything. sorry about the curse. <laughs> yeah, man. Curses are tough. Oof. Feel better. <laughs> so that that's that's Terry Gilliam's fan fiction. <laughs> Um, I just have one final question for you, Veronica. Um, my wife sent you a text last night asking for some advice or help on a writing project. And your response was, I quote, yeah, happy to help you. 
gotta go do a horse slaughter thing first. <laughs> and then you went silent for the rest of the night. <laughs> do you oh want to elaborate? Yeah. Um, oh my god, I can't believe this is on the We've podcast. We've been curious. Yeah, um... So my sister works with an organization called Horse Plus. They save horses from slaughter auctions. And last night there was a slaughter auction where they bring like a thousand horses into uh, an auction realm and um, people buy them to then take these horses to slaughter. So you get like discount horses. So the organization she works for that I was helping with just in my own weird way, we we're trying to like save as many horses as we could from that auction. Was this like a clandestine, oh, is... like bolt cutter operation where you were like freeing horses? No, or... no, oh, no. I see. It was official. It was through financial. We were trying to gain money. Like we were trying to raise money, get money. That's the only way they can do it. They buy the horses mm. through from people. under slaughter. So not connected to fan fiction, but I do remember that Sarah was like, what the f***? Like, she's like, I must talk to you right now. And I'm like, I'm in a horse slaughter. <laughs> you know? And um, but that's what we were doing. We we're trying to get as many people as possible to pitch in money to save horses from being huh. slaughtered. Oh, God. How noble. Veronica, I have to admit, I shouldn't tell you this. Okay. But so. I ate horse in Japan. <laughs> what? I'm so sorry. I just, I, I have to, I would, if we were just hanging out socially, I would never have said it. I would have swallowed it to my grave, but we're literally on a podcast. So I have to tell you, I ate horse sashimi while we were in Wow. Respect. I'm so sorry. First of all, I really admire your ability to tell the truth. And I think you need a lot of therapy after what you did. I'm so genuinely sorry that you you went to a horse slaughter auction to save horses and you were saving them from me i'm so sorry i actually probably really was because i heard that a lot of these horses that get sold at these auctions end up in some gourmet restaurants at the end of the day i mean this place wasn't gourmet but you didn't even yeah. spring for the good horse you son of a bitch <laughs> You probably had a like a skinny dying horse from Tennessee delivered yeah. to you in Japan. I'm so so uh, yeah. I don't have any defense for it. It was just it was a spur of the moment thing. Sorry for the word spur. But, uh... <laughs> hey, and Andrew, when in Rome, you know? Oh my god! Yeah, I didn't even when know that was Rome. a part of Japan. I'm so glad. I'm so yeah. glad I asked that question. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Thanks for your honesty. I didn't feel honesty. as bad about it as I should have earlier. Now I feel equally that as bad as I should have originally. <laughs> so, yeah. You're forgiven. Thank you. And thank you for the work you do on behalf of noble and majestic creatures who should not be eaten by tourists. So. Thank, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Bad, 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 bad.
back here, and thanks for listening. You can find more episodes at fanfiction.show or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at fanfictionshow, or you can contact us directly at fanfictionshow at gmail.com. Today we talked about Neil Gaiman's Sandman number 19, A Midsummer Night's Dream, which is the only comic book to ever win the World Fantasy Award. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, they very shortly afterward make comic books ineligible for that prize. Also, we talked about Gilliam-esque, which is Terry Gilliam's autobiography, Lost in La Mancha, which was the documentary of the first attempt of making The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, and it's directed by Keith Fulton and Louis Pepe. We talked about Jorge Luis Borges, whose book Pierre Menard explores the concept of authorship. And finally, Veronica's great uncle, Juan Maltalvo, whose book Capítulos que se la alvedaron a Cervantes, the chapters Cervantes forgot. Finally, I kept using the term weedening like an oaf when I should have been saying just. I do not, however, believe that that was the source of Andrew's confusion on the matter. Thank you for listening. Please tell your friends.